On this episode, Michelle Ely joins us to discuss having answers to a bunch of PlayStation 5 questions. I finally get my Pixel 4a. Spider-Man's a Sony exclusive for a multi-platform Avengers game. And SpaceX has a successful splashdown. This and more in this week's show. I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the OfficialGunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and I have just realized that my keyboard is extremely dusty. But I've also got with me Chris Farrell. You always gotta dust your keyboard, Stephen. Just pick it up and dust it off. Also, SP's here. You just gotta pick up your keyboard and just blow on it. You know, get that dust off. And and Chris, I, I'm just wondering, you know, this has been a big question that's been on the internet for a day. Have you found your Willie? We yeah. haven't found our Willie yet. We have been in communication with our Willie, but we have not gotten eyes on our Willie in over a week now. Oh, it's troubling. It's tough. actually two weeks because our Willie wasn't on camera last week. Oh, yeah. Well, that's sad. I, I remember the last time thing. I lost my Willie, and it was around the time that I got married. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm getting oh for that. But, uh, also, if you had enough of the crappy, crappiness that is jokes like that between the three of us, well, you are in for a break this week because the bar has been risen because Michelle Ely is here this week. Hello, Michelle. Hello. I come here with my keyboard clean. and <laughs> As it should be. And I don't need to find any willies, so I'm good. <laughs> well, we are happy to have you on, Michelle. We appreciate you coming by tonight. Uh, just for the anybody who's watching or listening to this, we would love to have Michelle more often, but I've been battling some tech issues over the last little while, who's unreliability, things like that. And so now that I've upgraded my computer, things seem to be going well. We'll see how tonight goes. But if all goes well, uh, you'll probably see Michelle make an appearance more often if she'll come back. Uh, after that sort of introduction there, talking about Willie's, she might never want to come back. We're just talking about Willie Nelson. Oh. Oh, what Willie, are you talking about? Willie D. Nelson. Which Willie is Willie Nelson. <laughs> which is, new is on the All Things and Good and all Things Good and Nerdy podcast on the GuineaGeek.com network, uh, Sunday mornings, 11 a.m., Geeks.Live. You missed the promo. I set it up for you, and you didn't I, do it. I didn't want to shamelessly self-promote. No, see, SP, that's his thing. He is the one that seamlessly puts the promo into thing, and now an angel has gotten its wings because SP has slipped in a promo. Are, are, are you ready for this? There's another one. See, this is actually quid pro quo. Michelle is on this show because Steven sat in for Michelle on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. last week, episode 342 or 343, so Michelle could have the night off. So, yeah, if you want to go watch Steven and I and Steven sit in for Michelle, go ahead and pick up that show. 
Uh, thank you for promoting me. I appreciate that. It's always good when someone promotes me. Uh, secondly, I would also mm-hmm. like to say that I did a poor job compared to Michelle. Michelle, uh, and actually, well, not just Michelle, no offense, Michelle, but everybody over there is far superior to me. And so I completely failed. And as one of those three people that usually have the bar high over there, Michelle, I'd like to apologize to you right now. That's okay. I had a thing that happened. So thank you for stepping in. I was happy to to be there and also uh, try to keep SP in line. I don't know how, but I somehow <laughs> did. Somehow did. Yeah, it's it's a it's a skill. It's a job. You just learn over time how to do it. Wait till you <gasps> listen to the episode, Michelle. You'll figure out that Stephen was actually on my side this time. I know. You're going to hate me, Michelle. I apologize. I'll apologize now. But check that out on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. You can check that out in wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you want to check out all things nerd and goody, uh, go ahead and check that out uh, at atgnpodcast.com. And hey, while you're doing all of that, let's just go ahead and promote better podcasting. Why not? Uh, It has nothing to do with anything we just talked about, but since... I, I wanted to promote one of my shows now. That was the way I wanted to do it. I see. So I actually led into it. I did a nice segue. I equated everything together. That was the way to do a promo. You're just like, Bleh. here it is. Nobody's going to want to check out our show now. You fail. Well, I'll just make an even worse one. Go check out my new show, StephenCast.com, where we recap Stephen John Drew's podcasts of the last week and criticize his performance and critique it Ooh. constructively. We are here to help make Stephen a better podcaster. Hashtag Stephen 2020. I think the title of this podcast, this episode is going to be gonna promo. I think that's what it's going to be. Let's go ahead and move on to the news. Let's kick it all off with our guest of honor, because let's be honest, uh, SP, Chris, and I are going to just drag this show down. So let's start off on a good note uh, with Michelle's news, which is going to top everything else that we are talking about. Hey, by the actually, before, before we do this, can I interrupt for a second here? For the video viewers, Chris now has something new over his shoulder that I think I don't is know what brand you're new. talking about. Uh, did you just add that right now on that bumper? Did you just put it up there now or was that there at the beginning? It's been up since the show started. Uh, he's got a Steven's new neon not paying sign. Attention to me. Chris has a new neon sign for some team and some sports center or some college or something. It's definitely not an educational institution. It has to be all about the sports. Anyways, it's a cool neon sign, Chris. So let's let's roll on. You can thank my mother. It was an Easter present that I was just able to get due to COVID-19. <laughs> we got my Easter package uh, last week. <laughs> well, I like it. It looks good. And it's an it's a neon sign. It's a it's a W. What is it? WVU. Is that what it is? It's the flying WV West Virginia University's logo. OK, I'm I'm Canadian. I know nothing about anything. Uh, let's go ahead, though, and to roll into the news here for real this time. Michelle, what do you got in your news point there? I have a couple of points about PlayStation. As you know, the PlayStation 5 is coming out soon, and there's a big question about combat- compatibility between existing PS4 peripherals and accessories in the PS5. Well, PlayStation came out with a couple of blog posts. And 
specialty peripherals such as officially licensed racing rails, arcade sticks, and flight sticks will work with the PS5 games and supported PS4 games. The platinum and gold wireless headsets, as well as third-party headsets that connect via USB port or audio jack will work with the PS5. The headset companion app is not compatible with the PS5. The DualShock 4 wireless controller and PlayStation officially licensed third-party gamepad controllers will work with supported PS4 games. Both the PS Move Motion Controller and the PlayStation VR Aim Controller will work with supported PSVR games on PS5. That's some good news. Some not so good news. The DualShock 4 will not work on the PS5. They state that they believe that PS5 games should take advantage of the new capabilities and features they're bringing to the platform, including the featureless DualSense wireless controller. So you have to get a new controller if you decide to buy a PS5. And uh, about the camera, is the PlayStation camera compatible with the PS5? They said, yes, the, P- the PlayStation camera will work with PS5 for playing supported PSVR games. It require a PlayStation camera adapter that will be provided at no additional cost to PSVR users. And there will be more details at a later date. And this Thursday, August 6th, the State of Play returns. The episode is going to be at least 40 minutes long. It will feature plenty of new gameplay footage and other game updates. There will be no PlayStation Studios updates in the episode. There won't be any updates around hardware, business, pre-orders, or dates either. The focus is squarely on showcasing some cool upcoming games um, coming to the broader PlayStation ecosystem. And that is the word they used, ecosystem. So I had to include it in the news. And again, it airs Thursday, August 6th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. BST. And you can watch it live on Twitch and YouTube. So I'll have to check my dictionary, but doesn't ecosystem have to deal with biological living things? It does. It does. I I actually uh, teach biology for a living, so it does. It, and which is why I had to use the improper, this is not how you use ecosystem, but there you go. In all fairness, uh, for a long time, you know, uh, I referred to it as the Apple ecosystem and there's lots of people who did, even though it is 100% incorrect, like you said. Uh, however, I don't, I don't know, know. That, apples are biological. Oh my God. Uh, you're just going to argue everything tonight, aren't you? Uh, Apple. <laughs> the rebel could make an appearance. <laughs> Apple, though. I don't know that they ever called it the Apple ecosystem. I think it was just other people that did. Did they? Okay. Never mind. Probably. It sounds like something Apple would say. It's flowery language. It sounds good. (laughs) Well, let's move past the word ecosystem (laughs) for a minute here and, and actually talk about the couple of the points here. The first one I want to bring up is the DualShock controller. I'm not really surprised that it's not working. Hasn't this been a thing for every single PlayStation is that there's been a new controller or well, just just about any console. I yeah. mean, there's very few exceptions. So, I mean, you can use GameCube controllers on the Switch if you have the right adapter now, which is kind of cool. But you also could have that on the Wii too. Yes, you could. You had. Yeah. I don't remember. Did it actually have a port built into the Wii it on did. it, or was there an adapter? Okay, you yeah. have to have a USB adapter for the Switch, but that's neither here nor there. There's an OEM one, but it's not really common 
in the console gaming world until just recently where it's saying that your old uh, controllers are going to work here. And the only reason they made the GameCube controller work on the Switch is because of Super Smash Brothers. It's not for anything else. It's because of Smash. So it shouldn't shock anyone that Sony's like, hey, the PS4 controller is only going to work to play PS4 games on a PS5. It's an interesting move, but it also makes sense because they put additional capabilities in the PS5 controller for like the motion controls. And I think they took the touchpad off the top of it like the PS4 controller has. And you compare it to something like what they've done with the Xbox, which is if you have an Xbox One controller now, it's going to work on an Xbox One Series X when it comes out because they didn't change much besides the new Xbox controller. They kind of redid the D-pad and the shoulder triggers, I think, and added a new button that's not mandatory for anything. So it's an interesting play, but in the end of things, I don't think it really matters one way or another, because if you buy a new console, it's going to come with a controller. Why Microsoft had to do backwards compatibility, I wager, is because we talked about on this show, the accessibility controller they made. Mm. So that if you are a disabled gamer, you could build your own rig to be able to play. If they didn't make that work, they just made a big hubbub, and justifiably so, about making this controller, what, like a year and a half ago? or so, you need to have that out there. And from what I had read, this controller also works on other systems too, including PCs. I think people have homebrew hacked it to work on the Switch, and I do believe there was talk it may work on PS4. I haven't followed up on it. If someone in the chat room knows, please let us know. But it's interesting. I I don't have any problem with Sony's take though on PS5 controller is the only thing you can use on PS5 games because it's a hardware limitation. Uh, One of the other things I wanted to mention was the fact that the PS4 camera is compatible with PS5. And I wonder if that's just because they're using like a a generic plug and play type camera. You know how many of them are like Mm -hmm. as the core? Because so many uh, cameras and things like that are just plug and play without drivers anymore on Windows. So I wonder if it's just so generic that it's easy for, for them to do it. Are you talking about the big flat thing that has like two cameras for like 3D motion detecting? Different thing. That was on Xbox. That was the Connect camera on Xbox. Yeah. I've got one that's connected to my PS4. There's the PS Move camera that's designed to look at like those light up beacons or whatever, but they're not really, I don't think it's near the same custom level of hardware that the Connect camera was, which side note has been completely abandoned by Microsoft at this point. Yeah. Because they it says that it's going to need an adapter uh, is what I think Michelle had said there, but yeah. I was wondering if that was just like a physical connection difference rather than like an actual software or driver thing. That's what I was kind of wondering, but I don't know. I, I can't imagine that it's, it. you know, the adapter is doing much digitally, that it's actually just like converting a connection. But who knows? Well, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Um, it's it's isn't, interesting that that's the thing that they make cross compatible. <laughs> well, isn't that camera required for PSVR? I, don't I thought know. it was required to a play camera. PlayStation VR. Yeah. I thought it was their specific one that they'd branded out there. I thought you had to have that for PlayStation VR, which is why they have to make it be backwards compatible because they want to maintain that VR world that they have developed in the PS4 side of the house and make it forward compatible with PS5 and then put more stuff out there. It's also one it? of the... Go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, it's also one of their big differentiating points in this current generation of the console war, which is if you want console-based VR, you can only have a PlayStation for it because uh, Microsoft and Nintendo don't do it. Okay, I have a question for Michelle. Michelle, you've brought this up as the news point today. 
last week on the show, I think it was last week, we were talking about um, Microsoft News. Uh, Chris was talking about that. And Suncast in the chat had brought up the question of, I don't really see why this is a big deal in reference to all of the news to do with Xbox. And Chris's takeaway on it was basically the exciting part is the whole bigger project that they're building with CloudBase and and a subscription service and things like that. It was it was the bigger picture beyond just some simple game announcements and things like that. What's your takeaway on all of this? If you want a new console, I'm happy for you. I am someone who still has a 360. I did not upgrade to a one. I have a PlayStation 4. I don't have a Switch because really the only thing I would play on it is Zelda. So maybe one day I'll I'll get one because I love Zelda. It's one of those things to where it's going to be another $500. And I don't know. I don't have another $500 for something like this. I have my computer. I need to make sure my computer is up to date for work and for play. I have my phone, which I always have to be careful because I guess my my phone is reaching. I have an iPhone. And as for all of us who knows, it's like there's a little pre-programmed thing in there. Like after so long, let's just have the battery be awful for some reason and not have any more power. But I'm not really in the mood to buy another phone, which is a whole bunch of hundreds of dollars. Right now, when it comes to all these console wars and such, I'm a bit, I brought this news because I thought it was interesting how much material, how many, you know, peripherals were going to be compatible with it, except Mm. the controller. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this to, it's like, this is going to work and this is going to work and this is going to work. And we're going to, you know, tease you, but this one thing, the controller isn't, which I know, Chris, a controller is going to come Mm -hmm. with it. But I just thought it was interesting about how all of these things were going to be compatible, but then they had to make a point of this one thing not being compatible. Yeah. And like I said, if you're eager for it, good. But one of the things is that a lot of the games that I like are coming out also on PC eventually. I There are a lot of PlayStation games that I, you know, like Persona and some other things. That's why I went with a new PlayStation instead of a new Xbox. It's just kind of meh. Like even when new phones <laughs> are announced, I'm a bit meh. That's why I wanted to ask you that question, because that's sort of how I have been feeling about all of these latest console things. Like, And I don't know what it was, but I felt like there was more hype about the midline refreshes for PlayStation and, and Xbox than there is with the PS5 and the X, whatever the heck they're naming it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It just seemed like there was there was more hubbub about the, the midline well, refresh. Well, much like cell phones and stuff like that and streaming box hardware and stuff like that, we've hit the point of diminishing returns. You can keep upgrading it, but we're at the point where most of these upgrades, they sound great on paper, but it doesn't really mean a ton to you. Even when you still get like, oh, I guess it looks prettier and it loads quicker, but everything you were doing before was perfectly serviceable. So I tend to agree. The new console announcements themselves, they're interesting to look at and see where they're going with it. But what I've been more interested in is what they're building up around them. And 
I'm curious to see a stony state of play presentation to see what they're doing and to see if they do something that is on the same level as what Microsoft's been doing with Game Pass. Because I think Game Pass, that's Microsoft's plan for the future. They don't care as much about the hardware aspect of things, but if they can be the Netflix of video games and console gaming, that's their plan. Guaranteed 120 bucks a year out of people. You play as much or as little as you want. I want to see what Sony does in that regard because the Game Pass is a huge quiver in Microsoft's, excuse me, a huge arrow in Microsoft's quiver that Sony doesn't quite have the same thing to. They could. They have a lot of their own first-party games. They could launch a similar thing. And if they do something like that at State of Play, you're going to see a lot of people on the internet be like, yes, this is amazing. I've always wanted something like this. And there'll be a lot more excitement going forward. But again, there's nothing on these new consoles where you're like, I have to have this day <laughs> one. Even more so on the Xbox side of the house because their launch day games are going to play on all of your Xboxes, Xbox One and Series X. You don't have to have a Series X to play any of the launch day games. It's a long play for Microsoft and Sony is doing Sony things, which makes me scratch my head, but it all comes together in the end because they understand this industry far better than I do. And the guys that really like Spider-Man. That is true. There's, <laughs> speaking of Spider-Man, we're going to get back to that later in this episode. Oh, tease, tease. Well, thank you very much for bringing that up, Michelle, because that balances out nicely to Chris's Xbox Love Fest that he had last week. You should have heard it. It was embarrassing. He was just like, I love Xbox. I, I want to marry Xbox. It was... It was but uh, polygamy is not legal in West Virginia. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm already married. Well, we've never seen your wife. Maybe you're married to Xbox. My wife is not going to be making any podcast appearances. She's made that quite clear. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to something that I actually think does deserve a little bit more hype, like the similar Apple product that we talked about a couple months back. It's about the, the Pixel 4a. Yes, my wish came true. It was announced today. That guy over on Twitter who claimed that it was uh it was Jake Frager? Yes, that's right. That's who it was. Yeah. He he uh ended up being right that it was announced today, and Google did announce it with very little fanfare. But the snapshot of the specs is it's gonna have the Snapdragon 730G processor, six gigs of RAM. There's only, by the way, only one model available, 128 gigs of storage, 3,140 milliamp hour battery, 1080p OLED 5.81 inch screen, 12.2 megapixel camera, 8 megapixel selfie camera, and it is only available in black. But... If you're just saying black, if you're you saying use their naming convention, well, what is it? Just black. It's just just black. black. You got to use Google's naming convention. Just black. So <laughs> if you are saying, Stephen, that sounds cool, but I really, really, really wish I had a way that I could unlock my phone in this world of masks. Then we got here to tell you that there is the fingerprint. The fingerprint reader is back on the Pixel 4a. And if you're Stargate Pioneer saying, hey. I got a hankering to dust off some old, old audio equipment, get in touch with my early days of podcasting, maybe hook up an iRig or something like that using the 3.5 millimeter jack. I'm here to tell you as well, it's back as well. It's also there. So just like the 3A last year, uh, the 4A does have the headphone jack. Now, the big thing with this is the price. The price has come in at 349 American and 479 Canadian. It's going to be an August 20th, 20th launch date in America, September 10th in Canada. And 
The real interesting thing is amongst all of this here, this very little fanfare, Google did announce that there will be a 4A 5G version coming later this year in the fall, as well as a Pixel 5. They have confirmed both of those as coming in the fall. And that's as specific as they got was in the fall. Now, I'll remind you, fall technically goes to December. So uh, it could be could be last hour Christmas rush could be there. Who knows uh, with the delay that this had. And they are going to include, and I think they've done this the last couple of phones, um, three months of the 100 gig Google One plan and three months of the YouTube premium. Now, the highlights I wanted to bring up from this, because these are all specs that were rumored before, but the big highlight that I want to say now that you know I can see the actual for sure confirmation, things like that, the whole punch camera. I am a huge fan of the whole punch camera. I think this is the best look that we've got for trying to do the edge to edge screen. I think it looks better than a notch. I think it looks better than a huge bezel at the top. I think the whole punch camera looks good. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention on this is that, again, one model, one model with 128 gig storage. Yes, that is for sure, at the least, in my opinion, where we should be for the minimum storage on phones. Uh, we should we should be starting at 128. So I think that that's pretty good that it's got 128 gigs of storage in there for a basic phone. Like this is that's the target user is basic features, which I'll talk a little bit more in a second here. But you're still getting 128 gigs. That's easily somewhere they could have cheaped out on with a price at 349. They definitely could have definitely cheaped out there. And the other thing that they seem to do okay here is the I, I powered through a bunch of reviews today this morning, and everybody is saying that they fixed the battery problem that the Pixel 4 had, and that it actually does do like a full day, which is which is all you can really ask for in a phone this size. Step up a size, you get a lot bigger battery, and it makes a big difference. But in this sort of size, you're kind of looking at just day by day, and apparently it is doing that. Obviously, the price is the killer feature on this because at 349, there is a big difference between 349 and like a flagship phone price. Even the sale prices that we've been seeing for some of those Pixel 4s and stuff, there is that leaves you with a big pool of money that that you can use elsewhere. That's the same sort of idea that we talked about with the iPhone SE. The iPhone SE had a bunch of concessions, but you're left with a phone that works well, that gives you a lot of the features that you like, but with a bunch of money to play with to do something else with. And so that that's where a lot of the shortcomings can easily be sort of brushed under the carpet because of the price point. Now, from what I'm seeing with the cons here, the biggest cons that I'm seeing right now is, and well, I'll say the biggest cons that I personally see at the moment is that the processor is slower. Let's start with that right away. It is definitely the step down down processor. So the question is long-term. Uh, I don't know the snappiness, the responsiveness. The reviews that I watched were split. Some people were saying, yeah, it's snappy. And, and they were showing pictures next to their other phones and there was, it was going snappy. Other people were saying, yeah, there's a bit of a lag. But I think you're looking at the long-term play there. With a slower processor, that means less years you're probably not going to get into that third year of um, support that Google has committed to, but who knows? Mm, they uh, promised it. They kind of have to. Sorry, you, you'll probably get the third year of support, but from a day-to-day -day functionality perspective, I don't know how how useful it's going to be in that third year. That's what I was meaning. 
Uh, there's no water resistance rating. I think we're almost at the point that it feels like there should be water resistance rating even at that point, some level. Remember, water resistance doesn't mean the current level that you see on the iPhones and the Pixels where you can drop them down for a certain time. There is a lot lower uh, water resistance rating available. Even the Pixel 2, I believe, had a, I don't know, had an IP like 58 or something like that. That was I don't a 67. Remember. Was it? Okay, 67. I can't remember. Yeah, it was a lower tier. So I'm surprised there isn't any level on this. Um, and then the other thing as well that I wanted to mention is the audio. I don't know why they continue to do the second speaker in the stereo pair on the bottom of the phone. That's going to be kind of odd. Because uh, people want it. But no, it's on the physical bottom. It's not front facing. Yeah. So I, That's the only place they could fit it. I, I, I know, mean, but I wish that they would just give it a, like a little bit more bezel at the, at the bottom. But to then have people that. would complain about the bezels. That's true, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Seems weird to me. Seems weird to me, but. Uh, the only other sort of miscellaneous note that I wanted to mention was that I saw a guy actually do an unboxing of the Pixel 4a review kit that he was sent, and it was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. In the 4a review kit that he got, he got a cardboard stand that he had to punch out, like, you know, it was the perforated stuff. He had to punch it out to make this little stand for the phone. It came with some random Google-branded unknown non-alcoholic drink. It had cookies as well as something else that said like sweet treat or something like that. It was a bizarre unboxing or a review kit that he was sent, but I appreciated it. It made me laugh. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the 4A here. At that price point there, what do we think? Do we think that this is something that the market really needs? Do we think that they've missed the mark here? Do we think that their lateness is going to cause a problem? because? The next phone, the, the, the bigger flagship phone is sometime in the future here in the fall. Uh, let's start with you, Chris, since you're, you're also a Pixel guy. Pixel 4a at 349 is a great price point, let's be honest here, because when the new Pixel 5 comes out, the price point will probably be somewhere between $800 to $1,000. And here's the thing. It'll have better hardware, but what Google's been proving with the, with the Pixel A line, the 3a and the 4a, is that all of these cool things they've been pushing out to the Pixel, software-based. Like, you still get all the cool new toys that we've seen on the Pixel 4, aside from the solely facial camera and things like that. But you still get, like, live transcriptioning. You still get all of the Pixel feature drops. So you get call screening. The camera in the Pixel 4a, the uh, reviewers that I'd seen, especially the folks over at Android Central, said it's basically the same camera and the same quality pictures you get out of the 4a than you would out of the 4 and the 4XL. So... That's their big thing they're proving here is that you don't have to have the cutting edge hardware to get the magic sauce that makes the Google Android experience work the way it does. And I think this is going to be when you start to see Google shift and realize we don't have to do these hugely expensive flagship phones. We've even seen the rumors already for the Pixel 5 that they won't be using the most cutting edge Snapdragon 800 level processor. They'd be using like the 865 or the 855. I can't remember whichever one is a generation older because they don't need it and it cuts the price. So I think they did exactly what they needed to here. The early reviews I've watched on YouTube from some of the YouTube reviewers and tech blog reviewers and stuff like that have all been pretty complimentary. One of the things they've been concerned about, like you, Stephen, was long-term, what does this slower processor mean? Now, in caveat, Pixel 2 XL and Pixel 2 that you have, I haven't really noticed much in the way of 
processor-based issues. Most of my problems have been there's not enough RAM to keep all my applications open I want. Something they've presumably cured here. Uh, the other thing I've seen people complain about, but I think it's more an adjustment period. Excuse me. Screen refresh on this phone. This is not really a huge pick. It's more of a nitpick. It's only 60 hertz. Most people, especially those reviewers who've been reviewing things like the Galaxy S20, Pixel 4, things like that, have been looking at phones that have either a 90 or a 120 hertz screen refresh. So that is something that is very noticeable to those folks because it doesn't feel as buttery smooth, for lack of a better term. I don't think it really matters. And for $349, I can live with a 60 hertz screen refresh rate. And honestly, that's better because it makes your battery last longer. If they've made a phone with a good camera, good software support, and good battery for $350, this is a very compelling thing, especially for people who are sitting there with their Android phones now going, oh man, my Android phone's end of life. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, three years of guaranteed updates on a Google Pixel phone. I'm kind of on board. Yeah, I have to say the price point really does um, make you able to eat some of that potential longevity because here's the thing. You're looking at like half the price of a, of a flagship Pixel. So, okay, let's say you get a couple years out of it and you're not getting that third, fourth year. You can you still have that budget left over that you would have spent on that flagship phone, right? Like I would rather have a phone for less years and pay less and upgrade more often, right? Than than pay a lot now for a phone that lasts longer. I, I would rather have a, 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 a more often refresh cycle. I think what'll be really telling for the 4A, and this is my last point I really had, is if we look a year from now, what the 3A and the 3A XL are doing, because that'll be a Google A variant of the Pixel phone that is at about the two and a half year mark on software support. If we start seeing around the two, two and a half year mark, slow down issues because those older processors can't handle Android 11 and 12, that's when you can start going, hmm, my Pixel 4a may not make it to what yeah. Android 13, I guess, is what we're supposedly going to be guaranteed getting with it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, and again, I want to give credit where credit's due um, because I think the iPhone uh, SE did a good job as well. And, and I know the 3a was there too last year, but there was a couple things that I think were kind of stepped up with the SE that I think we saw kind of shake through here in the 4A as well. Um, but all of these lower tier lines, let's just say like between Google and Apple, um, bo both of these lines here are, in my opinion, really, really serving a purpose for people who don't want to spend that type of money that we've been having to spend on phones. Michelle, what's your take on this? Yeah, I like the price point. I don't need i don't need a computer in my hand that's not what i really need <laughs> i don't like I, i'm not paying i'm tired of paying 800 for a phone i'm not just going to do it anymore it i don't really see their reason why um i'm happy with like the specs on my current phone which is four years old my iphone is four years old uh I'm happy with it now. So like I said, I just, I need phones like this. Cause I just, I I'm tired of paying that much. Yeah. I'm tired of paying of that much mm -hmm. money. Like what? Like, you know, like my phone service providers, like it's been two years, upgrade your phone. 
you know, just keep paying us this $30 a month so you can have a phone and get the new one. And you just keep paying and paying and paying and paying and never own your own phone. Uh, I just don't want to do that. Uh, I have I've have paid my phone off. I want to be able to do with it what I want. If I want to take it someplace new, which I, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm tired of paying a lot of money for a phone. Um, one thing that I personally am excited about with, with the price point of this phone is that there are, I think, certain people and certain plans that will make that more possible. Having it paid off and having it paid off sooner. like. We uh, some plans in Canada do still have that sort of X dollar credit towards the hardware price, so it's still sort of subsidized and things like that in a weird roundabout way. A lot of the plans have started to adopt that financing model that we saw the shift happen in the states too. But the thing is, at the price of three seventy nine or three forty nine Americans, four seventy nine Canadian, there are going to be plans that will make that so that it is fully subsidized. People don't have to pay out of pocket and. If all of a sudden they have to go and cancel their contract or do whatever, they don't have to pay a ton of money to pay out that hardware. Or I don't know how it works in the States. I'm talking about how it works in Canada. So I think that that is really, really good th- that there are people, there's probably a lot of people who can't afford to put out the dollars up front and uh, won't have to, hopefully. I will, I will say this if you can afford to do it, buy an unlocked version of your phone, especially in the Android world, because then you don't get all that carrier bloat. And you can just walk away to whoever you want. Like the same Galaxy S20 you would buy on AT&T has like 20 AT&T mandatory apps that it has on there. <laughs> and if you buy on Verizon, it has 15 that are all just junk you'll never use, but you can't delete them. All you can do is disable them. It is the worst thing, all of these carrier-specific apps that are forced out on carrier-locked phones. Yeah, we don't have that up here. Yes. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, actually, it's regulated that they cannot lock phones anymore. So... Uh, SP, what's your take on this? About the Pixel 4a, my concern would be survivability. Since it's a lower price, I know a lot of parents will be really apt to switch over to the lower end phones, whether it's the iPhone SE or whether it's this Pixel 4a and use this because as a parent and you have one, three, four kids, you're just not going to be able to afford the flagship phone for everybody. Normal families. There are those lucky families out there that can go with a flagship phone for everybody. But of course, those are the kids that drive Maseratis to high school. But (laughs) I I think survivability is going to be the issue because you get these phones for the kids and they have to be able to survive until you can afford the next one, whether that's two years, three years, whatever. So that's my first thought is survivability, whether that's waterproofness or ruggedness, like the drop Mm. test or or whatever they they have to be capable of doing that because a lot of people are going to be getting this for their kids just because of the price point so that's my concern there the other concern is it depends on what architecture you're in what ecosystem you're in (laughs) to use a bad term if you're in the apple's ecosystem you're going to be using an apple phone if you're not you're going to be using a google phone this is a a great google phone i mean if i'm going to go Android, I'm probably going to go with a Samsung phone or a Samsung Note, Galaxy, one of the two. Don't. They're they're still bloaty. They're still bloaty. It's a lot better, though. Right. Exactly. But I mean, I'd be going for 
the camera and the everything else. I guess a, a, a full the blown pixel, pixel camera I, is better. Agreed. Yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> the pixel, pixel camera is, is up there. So there's that. But I mean, a lot of people aren't going to be using. There's more choice mm-hmm. in the Android architecture than there is in the Apple architecture. I guess that's a better term. Yeah. Right. Architecture versus ecosystem. So yeah, that, that's my concerns here. Um, I I enjoy lower price phones. I have the blessing and the curse to have kids that are getting out (laughs) so we started the phones when they were cheaper and we could get the kids all phones and then when the phones started to get more expensive they started to last a little bit longer i mean basically we went to flagship apple phones for a lot of different reasons but at the time where i had to stop or i could stop buying one for everybody is when they got really really expensive and now I've got the last one going out the door later this week, uh, moving into her own college apartment, still on our phone plan. But we recently upgraded on her phone. That might be the last phone I buy for her, which means that I now only have to buy a phone for me. Moi. And I get to choose whatever phone I want. I probably won't be getting the Pixel 4a. I'll get a flagship phone. That's I, We've talked about it before. That's what I'm going on. And uh, yeah, I have more things to say about the PlayStation and Xbox, but I wasn't allowed to talk before, and I know we've mm. moved on, so just saying. <laughs> okay, so he- here's the deal with the phone situation. Um, we need to recap the fact right now that SB said that he did get his kids uh, the flagship phone, so we want to ask the question, uh, how did they like their Maseratis? Well... Um, all three ended up wrecking their cars. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a true funny. story. That's not funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the flagship thing goes, this is going to check enough boxes for me that I am going to pre-order this. I'm wait, been checking my carrier to see if it comes up because this should be, for my plan, one that is actually affordable. And he, here's the thing. I want to not pay that high t- ticket just to vote with my dollar at the, at the least, right? Because this is giving the ch- me the check marks that I want, the key ones that I need. And I want to not have to be in that higher class. And I'll say that part of the reason for this decision is I don't I don't want to go and go, you know what? I, I, I would appreciate all those bells and whistles, but I don't need them. But I would appreciate them. So I'll just go and... and find my way into that thousand dollar price point and, and just do it because like it's been a while since I've had a phone. I there's part of me that is is has a level of comfort of knowing I have paid this lesser price tag and supported that model. So that's part of it. I'll say it. All right. Any other thoughts on this before we move on to the Sony thing, which will might give SP an avenue to get his his uh, knickers out of a knot? If I was wearing knickers. I'm glad there are phones like this coming out because I refuse to spend $1,000 for a phone. And it's more than that. It's $1,500 to $2,000. Yeah, it's crazy. It's My laptop cost $500. Yeah, right. And then your phone, is, is, is they want you to spend $1,500. It's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. All right, Chris, what you got? So we're going back to video gaming with this news. I changed my story originally today. Originally, I was going to talk about, hey, they figured out who hacked Twitter, but I don't want to get into the legalese of it. 
And honestly, I don't care that much. They found him. The more interesting story was before the problems that caused it to happen. So I'm sure we'll revisit it at some point to explore the hack better. What I did want to talk about today was Marvel's Avengers game that'll be coming out for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox One Series X, excuse me, Xbox Series X, PC, and Google Stadia coming up. They've been doing monthly re- updates of where they are. There's a beta coming up. They announced just recently that Hawkeye was going to be the first new character pack that would be added to the system. Well, there was a tweet that came out today from the PlayStation Twitter account where uh, Crystal Dynamics, that's the company that's developing the new Marvel Avengers game, an employee there by the name of Jeff Adams revealed today that Spider-Man's going to be available as a free update if you own a PlayStation and have Marvel's Avengers video game. Available in early 2021, if you have a PC, an Xbox, you're not going to get him. This is a move that sparked a lot of criticism on social media for many folks, myself included. I had my own hot take that I put out on Twitter where I believe I called it something to the effect of BS and anti-consumer. And I kind of <laughs> still stand by that, but we'll get back to it in a little bit. Is a hot take like a hot pocket? I wish I had a hot pocket right now, a little ham and cheese hot pocket. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. So this announcement from Crystal Dynamics, like I mentioned, came in a blog post. It offered no insight or reasoning as to why PC, Stadia, and Xbox players are going to miss out on this exclusive content. The best that anyone can tell, and we can't get confirmation on this, is this is not a timed exclusive content. It is only on PS4 that you get Spider-Man, arguably one of the most popular Marvel comic book characters and Marvel movie characters. Some people are thinking that how this came into play is that the Spider-Man games by Insomniac that are really good are exclusive to Sony's PS4 and the upcoming PS5 but they tend to forget there was a Marvel Ultimate Alliance game that just came out for the Switch less than a year ago, which featured Spider-Man, both Peter Parker and Miles Morales. And he's also featured in all the Lego Marvel games. So it's starting to look like this is a move that is just what we've seen in the past, where it's, hey, we're going to put this character and make it available only on this console, so you'll buy it here. I did mention, historically, this has happened before. One of the first things that came to mind, and I don't think this was as egregious an issue, was back in Soul Calibur 2. We're going back to the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox era here. On the uh, PlayStation 2, you got, and I'm going to screw up this name terrible, Heihachi Misima from the Tekken series as an exclusive character that's only available on PS2. On the GameCube, you got Link from The Legend of Zelda. And on the Xbox, you got Todd McFarlane's Spawn. These were all exclusive to those consoles, and I think they eventually unlocked it when it became a digital game later on down the road. But I don't think that's as bad because everyone got something exclusive based off the system they were on. It wasn't, if you want an exclusive, you can only buy it on this system. It's also happened more recently. I didn't realize this until I'd researched it. But Sony and PlayStation had a deal with Rockstar Games that offered exclusive unlockables for the otherwise multi-platform Red Dead Redemption 2. It also, and I did know this one, used to regularly get exclusive Destiny 2 missions years before they would be available for Xbox players. This, however, did end Destiny Studio Bungie has ended the exclusivity approach as of last year. And I think in the past, Microsoft had some timed exclusives for Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 DLC. And there were also, I believe, some timed exclusives for the Call of Duty series at one point in time with Sony. So this isn't an unheard of thing, but it's become more and more unpopular and less prevalent. And let's be honest, I didn't realize this Red Dead Redemption 2 thing, but the unlockables... They're pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. It's not like locking a character away. 
But this comes at a really odd time. And we talked about the PS5 news at the top of the show. There are a lot of folks now that are trying to figure out what their plan is for their next-gen console if they're going to upgrade. Are they going to stay in the same ecosystem? There you go. There's that word. Are they going to flip over to another system? They're not sure. And a lot of people, myself, maybe is starting to come to the same opinion, is that making Spider-Man an exclusive for PS4 might be a way to try and incentivize people to stick with PS5 because when you upgrade those consoles, both Sony and Microsoft have announced you'll get the 4K updated version with enhanced visuals for your next next gen console. So maybe that's the play here. I honestly don't know what it is. So full disclosure, I probably should have said this to start with. Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. My console of choice for multi-platform games is Xbox One. So this news to start with kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But as I started thinking about it and tried to set my bias aside, and I'm trying the best I can, I'm sure some of it bleeds through, it it just seems like it sets a bad precedent what Sony and Crystal Dynamics are doing here in the world of gaming. It's arguably hostile to gamers. While some folks like myself, we have the luxury of having multiple consoles in our house. In theory, I could buy it on a PS4 so I could have Spider-Man. However, most of my friends play on Xbox One. And if it's not cross-platform play enabled, I've basically blocked myself off from being able to play co-op games in the Avengers game with my friends. There's no technical reason why Spider-Man shouldn't be on all platforms. It's not like they're saying, oh, there's some hardware limitation that we can't include this character. No, it's a money limitation. It seems like they paid to have that character exclusive to their consoles. And I fully admit, I play most of these wide release games on my Xbox. I'm going to continue to do so because that's my preferred world. It's my preferred controller where most of my friends are. But right now, I'm honestly reconsidering whether I'm going to keep my pre-order for Marvel's Avengers. This is a game I was excited about. I started off a little shaky on it, started looking better. But I don't think... I'm really debating canceling because I don't think Sony, more specifically Crystal Dynamics, should be rewarded for a move that is hostile to gamers. And some people, it's a bit hyperbolic online, are saying, is a spit in the face of the fans. It's not necessarily that, but it's certainly not friendly to fans. And we live in a world now where we're seeing more and more cooperation and cross-play enabled between systems. Remember a few years ago, it was big news when they accidentally flipped a switch in Fortnite and made it so that Xbox and PlayStation gamers could play together. Same with Rocket League. Now we live in a world where a lot of these living online shooters and things like that, it doesn't matter what system you're on. You can be on an iPad, a Nintendo, an Xbox, a PC, a PlayStation. You can play with your friends regardless of where they are. This seems like a step back by saying, oh, we're in this more open world where we can all play together and have the same gaming experience unless you want to be Spider-Man. So my hope is this is a decision that gets revisited. They make it available for all systems or at the very least make it a timed exclusive for Sony because this is just a bad play. At the very least, it's bad PR. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of people and the tech blogs already picking up, of course, because people Mm -hmm. are incensed. Arguably, I think some people are taking it too far because it just makes for good headlines, but it just seems like a bad anti-consumer decision, and it's a slippery slope for what happens next, which is now are all these different multi-platform games going to go back to be like, well, if you want this, you've got to buy on my console, but if you want this, you buy it on that other console. It's not how it should be. The game should be the game. This should be the game, regardless of what system you're on. I don't like what this looks like, guys. It stinks. You know, this reminds me of the pre-order wars, like pre-order at Best Buy, you get this weapon or this piece of armor or 
pre-order GameStop and you get this thing. And eventually, if you notice, that's not a thing anymore because people got sick of it. But I don't think that was as egregious either because that's like an extra weapon or a different skin pack. It doesn't alter the way the game plays. It tweaks the way you look. What they're doing here is completely altering the game. This game is built based upon building and specking out your team the way you want to be able to go and do missions. So if you're an Xbox gamer, by the time this rolls around, there'll be six characters on the PS4 and February timeframe and only five on the Xbox. Your team builds are completely different. You're going to have to spec out differently because you don't have this one character that could be used for support. I, I just, I don't get why you break the game experience for others. That's true. That's true. Well, I would like to comment on this, but I won't because I will uh, give my allotment of time to Stargate Pioneer because I don't want him to get upset. This wasn't what I was going to say before. It's an entirely different issue. I'm going to equate this to sports. And I know we're mixing and matching two things that, unless you're talking about digital sports, nobody cares. But in the sports realm, if you play golf, and you're exclusively training to play golf, like say you're on a high school team and you're training to play golf on your local golf course, but then you go to a higher quality golf course, which has more hazards in it. And the private school down the street actually practices there. They have an advantage to play on that course. That's home court advantage, so to speak. You can talk about hockey rinks. There's different sizes of hockey rinks. Believe it or not, that's advantage and disadvantage. Where the player boxes, benches are, where the corners are, are the corners bigger? Is the rink longer? Is it shorter? You can talk about altitude. In Colorado, the sports teams there have a slight advantage playing there. So if you take this video game architecture, even with the same game, and you say that one area gets a more advantage than the other. I can see that because sports does it all the time. But this is like saying if you play baseball at the New York Yankees stadium, the Yankees get a 10th player on the field and you only get nine. Which is actually sort of true because the crowd in Yankee stadium is hostile to other teams. But that doesn't change the way you fundamentally play the game. It could. It, it depends on your mental space. These are professional athletes. Most of those guys, it's not going to matter to. What I'm saying is that's the equivalent to putting an extra player on the field, not crowd influence. My question is, is Spider-Man going to be the only one? I mean, if so Spider-Man <laughs> is going to be just like PlayStation, is Black Widow going to be only Xbox? Is... The Hulk going to be only, I don't know, PC or Switch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are and they nobody going to... wants Hawkeye. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> unless it's Kate. But anyway, that's a different um that's a that's a different discussion. Anyway, I do see this point. It's like if you played Mass Effect and you could only get Garrus if you only played the PlayStation and you couldn't get Garrus if you played on, on Xbox. Oh god, I'd Mass- riot. Yes, Mass Effect is not the same game if you don't have Garrus. And if you don't like Garrus, then we will need to have words back in the alley. Um, (laughs) So it is a valid point. I did not realize that the game was the way Chris described it, a team-based game. And 
and how you need to like play and such. That is, it does fundamentally change the game. And I think Xandrax has an interesting point in the chat room. He, and he's right to an extent saying it would be one thing if the exclusive character was Moon Knight or Squirrel Girl. Spidey's an A-lister in anyone's book. Now, Squirrel Girl is moving up in the hierarchy of things, but it's not the same as Spider-Man, one of the most recognizable superheroes and brands and characters in the world. I mean, they've, they've arguably taken Marvel's most popular property and said, you only get it if you play on a PlayStation. Well, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. Nothing's going to come out of it besides a bunch of cranky fans on the internet, <laughs> myself included. SP, am I okay to move on to the next news point now? Is that okay now? Can I, can I continue? I don't know. Uh, Michelle, Chris, what do you think? Oh, I'm good. Okay. Okay. Michelle? I'm good. Did you want to say anything else about PlayStation or anything, SP? Well, it's not just PlayStation, but PlayStation Xbox. So th these things are moving into something that is a center entertainment system. So you see these gaming systems going towards streaming boxes. You see streaming boxes going towards gaming systems. Eventually, they're going to combine. They're going to meet in the middle, and you're going to have one functionality. So that streaming box part of it, not just the video game part of it, but the streaming box part of it is going to be more of a consideration as things progress. And right now, I think both PlayStation and Xbox are kind of ubiquitous when it comes to the streaming capabilities. But eventually, who knows? There might be a differentiality between the two. So there are reasons to get a new console if you've increased your capabilities in your sound system or your TV that you're playing this on, maybe visual or a virtual reality capabilities. I mean, there's there's just different things when you're looking at the future of these consoles. And it's not just the game console that we knew in the past. So that's all I wanted to say before. I feel like I'm getting picked on now. I no, have to admit, no. I used my PS4 to stream, like to watch Hulu or Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. I use it just as much because I didn't, I don't need a Fire Stick or a Roku because I have my PS4. That's exactly my co-host on ATG and Willie Nelson uses his PS4 for everything. It's his game console. It's his internet browser. It's what he streams all of his content on. So he doesn't really worry about the smart apps on his TV because pretty much any streaming service he wants is available on PS4. Well, moving on to the next news point here. Or can we move on? Sorry, I should double check that. Can we move on? Are we good? Are we good? Going once, going twice. Sold. Uh, Stargate Pioneer. I don't know if you know this about him, but he is not only a fan of geek stuff. He is not only a fan of podcasting, but... He is also a water slide master. In fact, most of the times that you don't, you don't see him, he's on the water slide. And one of the best parts about the water slide is when you get to the end and you go into that big pool at the end and you splash down into that pool. And so SB is here to talk about that splashdown, right? Exactly. So in the summer at the lake, we put the slide in the lake and you climb to the top of the slide and you slide down. The one thing that you have to do is you have to bring a bucket of water with you because if you don't bring a bucket of water with you, no matter what that slide is made out of, whether it's plastic, whether it's metal, whether it's fiberglass, you're going to stick and you're not going to slide down. And odds are you might get a little road rash on the way down, might get a little hurt. So that's just public service announcement. If you got a slide in the lake in a river, make sure you water that thing down before you slide down. 
that's the splashdown that I'm talking about tonight. Perfect. Uh, also, I hear that if you if you have that slide a little too high, high, you can end up getting a real big rash on your behind side. Is that right? If if it's well, too big of a that's drop, that's what I just said. Yeah, you yeah. can end up getting a rash. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you get a rash on your behind side? Is that what you're saying? Well, it doesn't have to be your behind side. It's whatever's contacting the slide as you're attempting to slide down a solid, Uh, not watered down, not lubricated slide. I was just wanting to make sure that we talk enough about the rash that's on your behind side so the listeners can really get that visual. I don't have a rash on my behind side. Do you have a rash on your behind side? Did you forget to water the slide? I have not been in the water for a long time, but that doesn't mean I don't have a rash on my behind side. All right, so we're just going to move on and talk about space and SpaceX splashdown. For those that don't know, we talked about it briefly last episode that SpaceX demo two with the Dragon capsule, which was named Endeavor, if that was going to come down this past weekend, there was some weather functionality issues with a hurricane off the east coast of Florida and negating some of the primary splashdown points. But never fear. SpaceX actually planned ahead and they had splashdown sites, seven of them around the state of Florida. There was some on the east coast of Florida, three of them. There was four on the west coast of Florida. So they were all good for the potential of a hurricane. And they had a boat, which we'll talk about on both sides, which could they're they're both equal. They go out, they get the capsule. It's like a big crab fishing boat. This was awesome. This was the best episode of Deadliest Catch that I have seen in a long time. The, the, it was great. Did he, anybody here watch the recovery of Demo 2? I did. Okay. A little bit of it. I, All right. I did, but I had a, I was bouncing back and forth between, ironically, a water problem elsewhere in my house involving the kids. <laughs> yeah, so the kids did not lubricate the slide. That's the kids the were doing was. their own water landing. <laughs> they, were, yeah, they had there their own splashdown, yeah. <laughs> Something that nobody thought of, which I am scratching my head why nobody thought of this, but nobody thought if you happen to watch this event where the Dragon Demo 2 capsule came down and it splashed down and they recovered it fine. Uh, After the capsule came down, the area was clear for pleasure boaters. And guess what? They came in droves. They did. Private drove, private boats came in droves. They circled around the back for the recovery. Now they did stay distance. There was one idiot that got maybe a little bit too close. And arguably those in NASA and SpaceX eventually said everybody was too close, which they did have a gas issue with uh, toxic gases that were inside the capsule and everybody's saying, get away, you know, this is bad. And so these pleasure boaters really just didn't know, but everybody's clamoring. SpaceX has made this such a spectacle that people are going to extreme lengths to just see it. And I'll admit, if I was in Pensacola, Florida on Sunday, I would have chartered a boat. I would have gotten my butt out there. It would have been a fishing boat, but I would have gotten my butt out there and I would have seen the recovery of the capsule on board. I believe it was Go Searcher. I believe it was Searcher Navigate. I forget which ship is on the West Coast. Anyway, that's the problem. Everybody's saying we need to do better. So the SpaceX Crew Dragon Endeavor splashed down off the coast of Pensacola on Sunday, August 2nd, returning astronauts Bob Bankin and Doug Hurley to Earth after their historic Demo 2 test flight. But shortly after that splashdown, 
Private boats swarmed the space capsule. NASA TV views of the Dr Crew Dragon showed many recreational boaters encroaching on SpaceX's recovery zone, some of them floating quite close to the capsule. Brendan Steen, who's the NASA administrator, said the U.S. Coast Guard did clear the landing zone ahead of the splashdown, and the landing itself had no issues. The SpaceX recovery ship Go Navigator recovered the capsule about 30 minutes after splashdown, but not before the private boats arrived. Both NASA Administrator Jim Brennanstein and SpaceX President Gwynne Shotwell were quoted post-events as saying, and this is from Jim Brennanstein, quote, that capsule was in the water for a good amount of time, and those boats just made a beeline for it. These are the things that we're going to look at that we need to do better at, for sure, unquote. And Shotwell, for her part, said, quote, the lesson learned here is that we probably need more Coast Guard assets and maybe more SpaceX and NASA assets as well. This was a demonstration mission. This is the time that you go learn about these things and we'll certainly be better prepared next time, unquote. Now, the crew demonstration flight marked the final trial before SpaceX begins operational crewed flights for NASA in late September. Pensacola as it happens, is the westernmost of the seven potential splashdown location sites for SpaceX's Dragon and was chosen this time due to Hurricane Iasis, which was moving north parallel to Florida's east coast at the time of splashdown. SpaceX is one of two commercial companies with multi-billion dollar contracts to fly astronauts to and from the space station for NASA. The other company is Boeing, will use its own capsule Starliner, which is designed to land on the land. So the only water landing that we're going to get out of these two is Dragon. This was a spectacle. It was great. Mars 2020 launched last week. This thing came down. We were just trying to watch a Starship Hopper SN5 test prior to this podcast. This has been an exciting week in space, guys. Yeah, I was bouncing back and forth. Um, like I said, uh, trying to watch this and I did manage to catch that and it was quick. It seemed like it was quick that the boats came in because I did manage to catch mm -hmm. a spot where they were the uh, commentators were awkwardly saying something to the effect of, oh, yeah, you can see it's a pretty popular event. Lots of people out there or something like that. And you could just tell that they were just not sure what to say about it. Yeah, yeah. like, ooh. <laughs> now, if you haven't seen these ships, they are pretty unique. They are a, a, a pilot house forward boat. And then basically a flat deck. And on that flat deck, there's a little recovery house that they actually bring the capsule in. There's also a crane, an A-frame crane that brings the capsule up out of the water onto the deck. And then I was saying that this was the best theme park ride ever because there's a hydraulic cradle that moves the capsule forward towards the house where all the medical stuff are. And then there's a helipad on top. So after the astronauts are recovered, they take a helicopter ride to land to get medically checked out while the boat steams in nice and slow and gets to shore just fine. There's also two fast boats that are on just uh, two um, little speed boats, things that uh, go in the ocean that help the recovery. Uh, so those are launched from the back deck. And I, I believe, I did not see them being recovered. I believe that they're on their own afterwards and that they have to make their own way to shore whereas the capsule rides on the boat. So yeah, this was all great. It was amazing. Americans are back in the business of being able to put their own people in space, recover their own people once they come on down. Uh, the, all the recovery will be around Florida 
the two recovery boats are right there. So, but you know, I, I was thinking since this is the best episode of Deadliest Catch that I've seen in a while, if in a pinch they could probably go down in the Bering Sea and have one mm. of the crab boats pick them up. And to be That's clear, fair. the American government is able to hire a company to put themselves into space. Let's make sure that that's a very clear distinction there. For now, eventually the American government will have their (laughs) own capsule that they have paid for, for their own use, but that'll be a little bit in the future. (laughs) Anything that either of you want to comment, Michelle or Chris? I think it's so cool. Space is making a comeback in a way. We, I remember being a kid and it was all about the shuttle and the next shuttle launch. And now we're getting all this really, you know, we had the the launch in the capsule with the, you know, International Space Station. Now we're having like stuff like this and, you know, Mars and all that. It's just, I really like to see space news because space is cool. And SP, have you ever done, I don't know if you've ever done, why is it? advantageous to use Florida for space launches and landings. Aside from the fact that it's far away from me, by the way, let's let's get that one out as here. far as possible. I mean, since everybody is targeting Stephen with space junk, I think it would be wise to stay away from there for launching. Ironically, there is a launch site near Stephen. It's on the west coast of California. It's Vandenberg Air Force Base. But those launches go north in a polar style orbit. The advantage of using Florida is it's as close to the equator as you can get in the continental United States. And you want to get close to the equator because you're using the momentum of the Earth's rotation itself to add velocity to your rocket. So you don't have to waste as much fuel and therefore mass in order to get to orbit. So you can take larger payloads into orbit by launching from Florida. So you're using the Earth's momentum going from west to east to help launch you orbiting from west to east. So it's it, it's all in the change of velocity. It's called delta V and just the energy it takes to get to orbit. That's why we launch from Florida. Uh, we also had a question from Suncasting. How many G's is a splashdown? And I'm assuming he's not talking about like grand, like, you know, dollar bills. Yeah, what he's probably talking about is the acceleration of an acceleration, which is a jerk. But I did hear that. Did you just the, call him a jerk? Wow. Yeah, it's a scientific term. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's called, the acceleration of acceleration is called a jerk. So the G's are 3.5 G's on the way down, which is about what they're doing on the way up. It's just negative G's on the way down. So I think it's a little bit more strenuous to come back down and go up because when you're going up, it's positive G's. So it's against your chest. And when you're going back down, it's uh, against your back. So it's kind of forcing you forward it's like stopping a car where you you know you go forward in your seat versus when you're accelerating go back which one gives you the rash uh that is a medical privacy issue with astronauts so you'd have to talk to the nasa flight surgeon on that okay fair enough uh chris is there anything that you would like to add can we just stop talking about rashes please All right. Well, thanks for looping us in on that there, SB. It was a pretty fun event. I actually had planned to watch several hours of it just because 
I had so much fun watching the launch and I wanted to have the resolution by watching several hours, but um, kids had other plans. Now, before we go with this episode, I just want to tease next week's episode. We're going to have Michelle Ely come back. Michelle Ely is going to come back because I poorly produced this episode and didn't realize how many good discussion points we had in our news this week. We had a lot, lot of news. And Michelle did a wonderful job of putting together some highlights from this uh, current uh, year's interesting uh, Emmy nominations. There are still Emmy nominations happening, even though we're in a weird world. And uh, she's got a whole list together. And Michelle actually had this list together before her news point that she discussed. So I want to really apologize to Michelle because I know that this was the first thing that she came to this episode with. But I think there's a lot of interesting discussion to be had about some of the nominations that were on on the Emmy roster this year and some of the ones that I didn't really realize were were there. Um, So I'm looking forward to that discussion next week. If you want to hear us talk all about the Emmys, check that out in next week's episode because Michelle's going to come back and talk about the Emmy nominations. And there you go, Michelle. Now I've teased that. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies that we ran out of time. Uh, it was uh, it was some very long discussions that uh, I think were good. They were good discussions today, especially my news point, because I like my points. Of course you do. <laughs> as I said on the Better Podcasting Live, the only thing Stephen is good at is talking about himself. Yeah, let's leave that there. Uh, so, Michelle, thank you very much for coming on here. Greatly appreciate that. Uh, we look forward to having you back again next week. The top of the show, I said you'll see Michelle more often. And look how things worked out. You'll see Michelle again next week. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote, Michelle? Well, I am an agent on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we uh, record Thursdays, 9 p.m. I know this. I do. <laughs> uh speaking of agents of shield again by the way i know we talked about my my episode that i was on this past recent thing but did you know that i am the executive assistant to the traveling deputy director secretary did you know that that's my official title over there how long did it take you to make up that title about 30 seconds <laughs> sounds like it, it just went, sounds like it grabbed a bunch of words shoved them together and it took me half a second to translate that to shoe shine. <laughs> uh, Chris, anything that you would like to plug or promote? Friendly reminder, we do have a lot of live content here on the Gunna Geek Network. If you want to watch some live shows, head on over to geeks.live. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. So please come check out some of the new some of the live content we've got. And last but not least, because I will again forfeit my time to Stargate Pioneer. Uh, SP, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? I would. One of the founding members of the Guinea Geek Network called Legends Podcast turns 10 this week. So go check their 10-year anniversary episode out. Give them a round of congratulations. 10 years of podcasting. Like Stephen and I have been podcasting for about 10 years, but it's not been with one show. Legends Podcast, the show, is 10 years old. That is an amazing accomplishment. My congratulations are to all of the full-time hosts that have been on Legends Podcasts over the years. You guys have done a momentous task, momentous task, whatever, of getting 10 years of podcasting in. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations indeed. That is awesome. And I know there has been a lot of busyness that's come into that show here and there um, over the years, but they've managed to keep going. So congrats to them. 
But on that note, for episode number 341 of the officialgonna.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying thank you for coming back again next week, Michelle. And you, listener, you viewer, want to come back for that. Sure. And uh, make sure you uh, wash your hands and wear a mask. Believe in science. I'm an angry gamer. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.